Medusa, goddess of creation, and her brother Seth, god of war, shook space itself and almost tore it apart. It was hoped, after the tribe had defeated and imprisoned Seth and his army, that there'd never be a second war. I've heard it said that hope is a good thing. But hope alone doesn't have the power to stop the god of war at full strength, no. There is only one force in existence capable of that. What a mess. Seth, god of war, was now on the loose, and Naui, who'd come within a whisper's length of catching him, was knocked back by one of his soldiers, Funza, a prisoner who'd tricked Naui into helping her escape. As a result of all this, Asha wasn't the lone seeker anymore. An entire battalion of seekers had been placed under Asha's command to assist with the search. Seth had to be found before he regained his strength. Of course, nobody knew the exact amount of time it would take for that. For all anyone knew, it could be a day, a week, a year. What the tribe did know is that once he recovered and was at full strength, he'd be almost impossible to stop. As we walked to Mr. Abernathy's class, aka the Whistler, I'd noticed for the first time that the rock-solid calm that always seemed to come through Naui's eyes had a hairline crack running through its armor. It was a calm that always steadied me, no matter what we faced, but for the first time I was beginning to realize that even Naui of the Lightning Tribe wasn't completely unshakable. I wanted to say something, just couldn't find the words. I noticed that she seemed to be looking around for someone as she walked. She thought she was slick, but not much gets past me when it comes to Naui. I'm sure this had something to do with old, dinted cheeks. <whistles> Officer Dutton, doing his usual. Let's go, people. Go, go, go. Mr. Abernathy had written Ancient Egypt on the chalkboard as I settled into my desk behind Naui, and I wondered how she would react. The tribe had been quite influential to Egypt's art and architecture, but of course this couldn't be found in any history book. As Mr. Abernathy began talking about the pre-dynastic period, Naui suddenly stiffened. She turned quickly, asking me if I'd heard that. Heard what? Then I saw her eyes lock on something. She was looking through the glass embedded in the center of the classroom door. Next second, she was running out of class. Mr. Abernathy, who'd been facing the board, spun around, but now he had moved so quickly that he hadn't noticed her. Then I quickly raised my hand, told him I needed to go to the restroom or something, and headed out after her. The hallway was deserted. Then I noticed the door on the other side of the hall clicking shut. I ran down to it and popped the door open. Now he was just a few feet away, gripping a fully extended Aja tight, looking around desperately. I asked her what happened and she took off again. And when I say took off, I want you to picture those fighter jets on aircraft carriers being shot off decks. I've never seen 
her move that fast. A couple of seconds later, she'd returned and Aja had gone back to being a twig in her hand. She pocketed it, continuing to look around. I asked her what happened again and she just shook her head. Then, after a while, she looked at me and said in a shaky voice that she thought she'd seen something. I asked what, but she just shook her head again, said something about hearing a voice in her head. A voice? What kind of voice? What did it say? Now he just looked at me, said that it wasn't Ak or Funza. It wasn't like any voice she'd ever heard. It said, hello, Naui, in this deep, gentle voice, and when she'd heard it, something had told her to look out toward the hall, and that's when she saw a form like a shadow. Oh no, I thought, Dutton. I pulled Naui behind a thick tree between halls and waited for him to pass. He was walking with Principal Gardena, and they stopped right in front of the tree we were hiding behind. I heard Miss Gardena say something like, Look at this. Then they both approached the tree. I thought we were busted for sure, but then Miss Gardena began talking about things that had been carved into the tree and how it was just as bad as graffiti. They were so close that we both had to hold our breath. They were going to find us, I thought, and when they did, I'd spend the rest of my natural life in detention. Fire drill. Oh. We could hear doors opening and unmistakable chatter. As Dutton and Principal Gardena turned to leave, the principal got on her radio and asked, Who called for the drill? The following was taken from the interrogation of Fatima, former consciousness of the living prison. Imagine a darkness so thick that no matter how much you strained your eyes, all you could see was pitch black. A voice broke through the darkness, and that voice belonged to Safina. She had a question. How did it feel? Next came Fatima's voice and a simple answer. The feeling was strange, and what was this soft, squishy thing that surrounded her? Skin, responded a third voice, and that voice belonged to Anaya, an elder warrior who also happened to be a healer. Fatima had waited centuries for this, and now that she'd actually gotten a body, she ended up here, wherever here was, in a place that there was no light, no sky or wind, where all she could do was stare into an abyss. This wasn't what it was supposed to be like at all. Seth had explained it, about the way that warmth touched your skin and how blue the sky was and what it felt like to listen to music with ears, how the sound caressed them. Then Anaya broke it down. What they were offering Fatima was a path to freedom and along the way, a chance to heal. She was, after all, a being filled with emotions, and Seth had tapped into those emotions and manipulated them. 
Could a prison love? No, but its consciousness could. Safina spoke again. Fatima hadn't understood what she was feeling, didn't understand that emotions like this could drive you to do things you never thought you were capable of. But Seth understood. Out of all the weapons of destruction in his arsenal, he knew that the most powerful one he possessed had nothing to do with destruction at all. Or should I say, not the physical kind of destruction. Anaya went on. He's gone, Fatima, and to him, you were nothing more than a way out. That's it. But if she allowed it, allowed her memories of the conversations between them to be heard, this might give the tribe a clue as to where he was hiding. And if they could catch him before he regained his strength, this war would be over before it even got started. It wouldn't take the pain away completely. Nothing could do that. But if she helped them, her new life could begin. Fatima didn't say anything at first. In the silence, there might have been a few sniffles. So, these were tears, Fatima said. They were wet and warm and sweet. Fatima went on. Seth had predicted this, that they'd offer freedom to her if she showed them her memories. Never trust them. They'll lie to get what they need out of you, then leave your consciousness to rot in a prison without sight or sound or touch. And this is where they'll keep it forever. I won't, she told them. He'll be back for me. Lunch had arrived and I was ready. Starving, actually. And on that day, as I recall, I'd run out of tuna, so I had to be happy with a boring old peanut butter sandwich. We'd found a patch of grass away from the crowds and sat down. I looked around to make sure O wasn't approaching. Now he noticed this and said she'd seen him early on when the bell first rang at a table talking to Leah. And when she said her name, that name, Leah, there was an edge of annoyance in her voice. So, a shadow. Now we laid down in the grass, stared up at the sky, and said she'd had a dream last night. Now, what you need to know about Naui is she never ever dreams. I think she told me about one once where a giant was coming after her, and instead of running, she ran up on top of its shoulder and knocked it to the ground with a single punch. But that was it. The dream she had last night had been really short, but felt so real. She'd been walking through different halls at school, and it was deserted. But she wasn't alone, or at least it didn't feel that way. Something else was there. It was like that feeling she got the first time she'd found Hall 33. As soon as she'd had that thought, she found herself standing in front of it, staring up at the numbers directly above the door. And those numbers, they weren't solid. They were made out of shadow. First thing she did, out of instinct was reach into her pocket for Aja, but her weapon wasn't there. 
That wasn't gonna stop her though. She stepped in and looked around. It was the same as it was before. All the doors were shut and through the glass embedded inside each door was pure darkness. Nothing had changed except... Now I backed up as one of the doors continued to open wider and wider. She tried to look inside, but the darkness was as thick as a wall. About that time, the hairs on the back of her neck stood at attention, and it was because she felt someone standing behind her. But when she turned, all she saw was her own shadow against the lockers. She stared at it. There was something more to it, like it was... And before she could finish that thought, the shadow stepped out of the locker and was suddenly three-dimensional. Not gonna lie, at this point, I would have took off so fast that I might have smashed into somebody else's dream, but now I wasn't scared at all. There was something familiar about this thing, whatever it was. At first, they just stood facing each other. Then the shadow reached out toward her, and instead of backing away, she extended her hand toward the shadows. She couldn't understand exactly why she was doing this. It just felt right. A split second before their hands touched, she woke up. Wow. We were both quiet for a little bit, then I said it all sounded kind of weird and creepy. In my mind, I was trying to make connections between the dream and Seth. Maybe that shadow thing was connected to Auk and Hall 33 was meant to be a trap. Maybe it only appeared when Naoi was alone and that was why I wasn't able to see it when we were together. When I mentioned this to Naoi, she just shook her head. Her point, She'd have known if it was Auk, and it didn't feel like him at all. I sniffed the air at that moment, and the smell of ocean breeze cologne and burnt hot dogs filled my nostrils. Oh no. Before I knew it, Oscar was squatting down beside us. He seemed to have come out of nowhere, and I wondered how much he'd heard. But then I thought, did it really matter? It wasn't like he knew who Commander Auk was or had any idea that gods really existed. I honestly didn't think he knew much of anything. I mean, the girls weren't all giggly around him for his brilliant mind. He asked what we were up to, and I immediately thought, we're up to none of your business. Then he said he'd hoped that we'd hide him from Leia, who was now trying to recruit him to be a co-host on her blog. I thought, oh, he's trying to avoid being part of a channel with over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, right. Phony, phony, phony. That's all I could think. Then he whispered something to Naoi, and she laughed, which almost never happened. O stood up and helped Naoi to her feet. She looked at me and said, we'll be back, and they both walked off. But she didn't come back, and I didn't see her for the rest of the day. That night, I laid in bed, eyes wide open in the darkness, just thinking. 
trying to make sense of why Nawi had gone off with him, and what had he whispered to her. Oh, I knew who that was, and I thought seriously about not opening the window. I got up slowly, opened it, and went right back to bed without saying a word. Nawi took her usual spot on the floor next to my bed, and the first thing she said was that she'd thought about it, and maybe she was wrong about Hall 33. Maybe it was connected to Seth. After what happened with Funza, she wasn't sure she could trust her feelings anymore at all. The only way she could know for sure would be to get it to somehow appear again, but she didn't have a clue how to do it. Maybe, she said, we could figure it out together. <laughs> it was as if what had happened that afternoon when she left with old dented cheeks hadn't happened at all. You don't just leave your best friend like that. I wouldn't have. I think my silent response to what she had said spoke volumes, and her response to that silence was that she absolutely wasn't apologizing for what she did. It felt good to walk with him for the last 15 minutes of lunch, so that's what she did. Deal with it. It stung, but at least my best friend, as always, spoke from the heart. She liked him. I'd understood that from the first time we'd seen him. Can't say I understood why. I guess being around her and seeing what she could do, I thought she wasn't like other girls, but that night, for the first time, I realized that, at least in some ways, she was. Yeah. Then, in the softest tone I'd ever heard out of her, she said that spending time with O didn't take anything away from what we had. Nothing could do that. Ever. Well, I still didn't like what she did, but... There were more important things going on in the world at the moment. Things that could actually end the world. So we had to stay on point. I said, let's focus on what you were thinking about that day. Now I was like, well, only thing on my mind that day was trying to find a safe place to activate Aja, her weapon. That was it. And when she couldn't find a place... Hall 33 appeared. I said maybe Ock, who was known to be able to get inside a person's head, had read your thoughts at that point and made that place to trap you. Well, if he had, she said, he hadn't done a great job. After activating Aja, she simply left. Why weren't the doors locked as soon as she stepped in? It didn't make sense. Hmm. She had a point. But maybe the point wasn't to trap Nawe. Maybe there was some other reason that we just hadn't thought about. Nawe reached up and looked at the time on my phone. It hadn't felt like it, but she said it was 3.33 a.m. in the morning. Really late. This would have to continue tomorrow. She walked to the window, looked out, and froze. She motioned me over, and when I saw what I saw, I just couldn't believe it. 
a shadow entity was standing on the street, staring up at the window. Before I could blink, Naoi had slipped through the window and leapt down to the ground in one smooth motion. Being that I wasn't half superhuman, I took the stairs, and before I knew it, I was running through the cool night air. I could see Naoi way up ahead. She was sprinting toward the school. Once I reached the school grounds, I jumped the fence and almost collapsed, trying to catch my breath. I looked around, spotted Naoi as she whipped past one of the halls. When I saw her again, she was standing in front of a hallway I'd never seen. She pointed up, and I saw the numbers 33 in shadow over the doors. Hall 33. We looked at each other, then she pushed the door and it opened right up. The next thing she said was, awake. Aja, her weapon, blazed in the darkness. I noted at that moment that there was a new symbol underneath the lightning bolt on her staff. I couldn't see what it was. I'd ask her about it later. Just as Naoi had said, there were classrooms, and beyond the doors of those classrooms was darkness. Then I noticed something. There were three doors on each side. When I pointed this out to Naoi, she said she hadn't ever thought to count the doors. We turned and saw that the door opening was right in the middle. Naoi physically moved me behind her and asked if I was sure about this. She could do it alone. I put my hand on her back and said, let's go. We slowly stepped in. I expected to hear the door slam shut like in those horror movies, but that didn't happen. Instead, we walked and walked and walked in silence until the darkness finally lifted and I was looking up at a pink sky that turned purple, then red, then pink again. I said, Naoi, look at the sky. Then I saw a building, tall as a skyscraper in the distance, changing colors too, brilliant, beautiful colors that I'd never imagined existed. And I saw a tall man with a Rastafarian cap, immersed in color and pulled over his dreadlocks, approaching us as he skillfully played a violin that was on fire. He looked at us with eyes that changed color like the sky and said, Welcome to the Underworld. Next week, Adventures in the Underworld.